0: Welcome to Age Free Woman. Don't let age be your cage or anything else for that matter. How is everybody today? I have a wonderful guest for you. This beautiful woman, inside and out, had the courage to leave her marriage. I think it was like over 30 years of, uh, of living with a narcissist and she left in midlife. If this doesn't inspire you, I do not know what will. And if you haven't figured it out already, today's show is about narcissism. And as my good friend Bugs Bunny says, on with the show, this is it. You know, we hear a lot of chatter these days about narcissism. In the United States, it is reported that one in every 200 persons we meet, meet the criteria for N. PD, or narcissistic personality disorder. However, many professionals in this field believe the number to be higher. If you've ever worked with, had a friendship, or were romantically involved with a true narcissist, your life will never be the same afterward. That is, if you're lucky enough to get away. If this scares you, it should. Targets of narcissistic abuse not only risk losing their sanities, but their careers, bank accounts, investments, and sometimes their own lives. In today's show, you'll discover the ins and outs of narcissistic personality disorder. You will gain insight on its symptoms and behaviors, spotting red flags, how to heal from narcissistic abuse, and more. I have a special guest behind my golden curtain today. Her name? Penny, or Joy Weaver, as she is known by on her website and social media feed. Penny is the founder and creator of Narcissistic Abuse Support Groups, NASG. She provides support, education, community, and resources for victims of narcissistic abuse. As an advocate for survivors, she is on her own mission to educate the public about what it is and how to recognize patterns. Penny is an NLP-accredited narcissistic abuse recovery coach, facilitating the empowerment and healing of victims and survivors of abuse. While perusing her website, I came across this quote from her. The motivation to start the group was because no one understands narcissistic abuse unless they themselves have been subjected to it. It's an incredibly lonely, frustrating, miserable, devastating, and soul-destroying place to be in. I believe that if one began a group where victims who truly understand narcissistic abuse were able to meet one another, empathize, assist, and listen as they shared their experiences and challenges it would be key to validation and ultimately healing. Wow. In her commitment to help others, she has made it her responsibility to immerse herself in all that there is to know about narcissism and in the process has become an expert in her own right. So let's get on with the show. Please welcome Penny or Joy Weaver, Joy, welcome to Mental Health Matters, and thank you for agreeing to do this interview. That's an absolute pleasure, and thank you so very
1: much for inviting me to do this talk today, Angela. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Penny, you know, how about first telling the audience a little bit about you and your story?
1: Okay, so, I grew up in a family where there were four of us children. I was the youngest of the four. Um, my mother was <laughs> a kind of a raging alcoholic narcissist. She was impossible. She she terrified me my whole life. She would throw things at my father over the table and she wouldn't let us leave. She would throw things out of windows and, and the shattering of the window was just frightening in and of itself yeah I grew up the invisible child that was my role and um, I actually took on I tried to appease her I tried to avoid incurring her wrath at all times and this is what I think made me into the person I am so I became a kind of a people pleaser um, the person that tried to stay out of trouble the person that um, you know always tried hard to just be kind and loving and to get the love that I needed so That was my mother. And then, of course, when I was 16, I met and later married a narcissistic man, and he was um, (laughs) challenging on every level. I effectively married my mother, actually, because he was also, he had a drinking problem. He was very abusive in every which way, so verbally, emotionally, initially physically, but thankfully that stopped financially, definitely, um, spiritual Every which way he could have abused me, he did, um, and yeah, just soul destroying. It took me thirty-four years to get out of my marriage, which sounds insane. And people say to me, "Why did you stay?" Which just further shames you. I stayed for many reasons. One of which was when I tried to leave him initially in nineteen ninety-one. I was the one that ended up in hospital due to the stress and he tapped my phone and he had people follow me with a boot full of weaponry. Oh, You people would call it a trunk, sorry. And um, yeah, he, he kind of, he arrived and harassed me. It was, it became far too much for me and I ended up in hospital, diagnosed anxiety and depression. And so I was labeled the one with the problem, which he effectively used against me for the rest of his life. And It meant that if I was to divorce him, I was terrified he would take my children. I also didn't want to co-parent with the man because he drank a lot and I didn't feel he was responsible. And so, yes, I stayed. And finally, after the 100th affair, I finally decided I can't do this anymore. It's it's actually going to kill me because I was physically unwell, never mind mentally just not coping at all. So I finally got plucked up the courage to leave him. And it took immense courage to do so because, um, yeah, because of the fear involved, because I had no finances, I didn't know how that was going to work. I literally prayed about it and trusted God to, to open the doors for me. And so I've now been out for five and a half years, and it's been the hardest thing I ever did, but definitely the best.
0: Wow, yes. You know, you know, sadly that is the story that we hear over and over again when people get involved with narcissists and there's so much it's it's so intricate in why you stay and it's something that you can't even explain on a podcast and you'd probably have to write like I don't know a 300-page paper to explain the neuro- the neurological um, reasons and um, and why that is and then you add s- uh, different circumstances for different people into the mix and it's it's diff- it's hard but what we do know is that it's not it's not as easy as just leaving why don't you just leave? If it was that easy, how many women and men would have done that like eons ago? And it's interesting, Joy, because you say you were an appeaser and a pleaser with your mother or a pleaser with your mother growing up, and that was brilliant. That saved you. And that's how your brain wired. So it doesn't make, it makes it's, makes perfect sense why you would in, end up with somebody you know similar to her so and I commend you for having the strength to get out um, especially with such a young marriage so I'm gonna go to question number two penny or one actually it's really the first question and that is can you explain to our listeners and to people on stage today in plain language, what is narcissism? And like, what are its symptoms?
1: Yeah, so for me, first of all, there's different types of narcissists. So I was an overt narcissist. That's the um, very charming, out the popular, seemingly generous, um, well, mine was generous, but then he has a lot of money. (laughs) So um, they're always the life and soul of the party. They're the ones who Seem to be very um, successful. And in fact, I think it's possibly right to say that the COVID knocks, the ones out there that are holding jobs such as CEOs of companies, they're holding jobs whereby they're going to get praise or recognition. So they might be the, um, you know, they're, they're usually heads of companies. They might even be the attorneys. They might, might be judges, which is all a little unfortunate. They might be psychologists. They might be anything in professions where and horribly to say it's sometimes caring professions too, where they kind of get all the praise and all the you're so amazingness, which is termed narcissistic supply. So yeah, that's the, uh, they they basically feel entitled. They have zero empathy. So you can share with them a story of something of deep pain and they'll just look at you and say things like, well, did you know that person? Or something like that, you know, which is kind of absolutely amazing in and of itself. And then, um, yeah, they're entitled, Life is always all about them. So it's my way or the highway all the time. It's um, it's, it's grandiosity. It's, um, I don't know. For me, the the worst part about narcissism is, in fact, the cruelty and the intent to destroy people, which is the part I don't understand at all. I don't get it. I don't understand why anybody would go out of their way to, to actually just try to destroy someone. And what you were saying, too, was because I'm an empath, a narcissist actually targets a person who's empathic because of their desperate need for narcissistic supply. So they want somebody who's going to listen, who's going to hear them, who's going to admire them and praise them and give them all the adoration they need. So they choose you. And generally what they do, too, and I've heard this a lot in my groups. So it was not just me. They reel you in with a story that's very sad and very, you know, and because of the kind of codependent or co-narcissistic, whatever you want to call it, personality type, what we do is we leap in and we say, oh, I can fix you. I can love you into wholeness. You know, this is, I'm good at this. I, I can really help you. So they're kind of already make you feel sort of um drawn to them never mind just by the whole, whole idealization love bombing phase where they tell you how wonderful you are but as an empath you're drawn to a narcissist because they um they shower you with love which is what you're desperately needing especially for me someone coming out of a narcissistic home um they mirror you in fact they're kind of um <laughs> they're showing you all your good qualities, so in fact you sort of effectively falling in love with your good qualities because they're actually vacant lot. According to Sam Vaknin, who is a perverse narcissist, he says when you're talking to narcissists, they're an empty space, so don't expect expect an answer back. One of the most frustrating things too about narcissists is that they don't ever resolve conflict. They don't ever. Accept responsibility or take accountability for anything. They very rarely apologize. They always blame shifting, so it's always your fault, which is why it's the most frustrating, confusing situation. So yeah, that's a kind of a long-winded explanation. Sorry, Angela.
0: No, no, that that's excellent. And you know, it's interesting because I think that is like that is the, in my opinion. That is how you can really recognize a, a true narcissist: is that they do not take responsibility. I mean, they won't apologize, and if they do, it's rarely, and it's be, and it's because they're going to benefit from it. So, I really think that if on that checklist, it's like, okay, well, you know, my partner or my boss never takes responsibility. doesn't take responsibility, and and you know, my partner is always shifting. And the gaslighting that is involved with all of that is really crazy making. And what tends to like, if we're playing a game of chess, you know, and let's say this game of chess is narcissism. Well, the chess moves, how how the move, how a narcissist engages is always, you know, to get a check, to get, Your man to get your king or whatever it is. So, and it always and their strategies cause you to fall off your game. Your game, sorry. So, for example, you might be going. Long things are going well between the two of you, and you think things are well, and then suddenly, boom! You're you're t-boned with with some kind of um, event. Oh, we have to go to this event. What do you mean, this event? tonight yeah tonight and meanwhile you've been telling him for or her for months that this night you have this an exam let's say for example <laughs> but suddenly they'll want to destroy that that exam for you so they'll create some kind of conflict around things like that i wonder if you can talk a little bit about the ga- the gaslighting because the, well the gaslighting and yeah the gaslighting because i think that's important And where the origins of that
1: came from. Yeah, so gaslighting to me is an unfortunate word because if you speak to people who don't know anything about narcissism and you bring up gaslighting, they look at you and think, what are you talking about? In fact, (laughs) one of the interesting things about sort of studying up on this, having been exposed to it my entire life, is that you have to learn kind of like a whole dictionary of words that apply to narcissistic abuse and narcissists and it's really a, a quite a challenge. Gaslighting, the word came from the movie, in, in, I think it was in the 1940s, called Gaslight, where this man moved, uh, I think it was his wife, into a house, and he kept doing things to completely confuse her. So she would switch on the gaslight. So in the gaslighting, they have gas lights. They don't have electricity, obviously. Well, maybe not in that house. Um, and so she would actually switch on a light and then he would purposely go and switch it off and when she walked past again she'd kind of go oh um gosh I thought I would just switch that on you know so, so it just creates confusion you don't know what, what's going on anymore um so now they can also do things like move things so you put you'll put your keys down and when you go back to the the table they're gone and it's like what okay now I know my memory's bad but I actually What's, where are my keys? And it just causes absolute confusion. For me, the gaslighting came in so many ways. So we'd be having a conversation and I'd say to somebody, oh, you know what, yesterday I saw, you know, Luke at the shops and he said whatever. And then he'd say, um, oh, really, you know. And then uh, we'd have the conversation and then I'd say, yeah, so when I saw Luke and he'd say, you saw who? I'd say, I-, I just told you I saw Luke at the shops. No, you didn't. What are you talking about? You didn't say that. So they kind of, <laughs> they deny what you just said to be true, if they are caught out in an affair, for instance, they will make up every story as to why. Even though at one, in one instance, one of my friends actually saw my ex in, in, on a date with this woman, he saw her seeing him. And yet he managed to deny it so fervently that I ended up getting hold of her three times to say, are you sure? Are you sure it was him? And eventually she said, Penny, I know him. And he saw me seeing him. So, <laughs> the most amazing thing was right at the end of all that. he So he tried everything, every single excuse in the book, which confused me and thought, I must be insane. You know, she must be insane. Who knows here because it's really adamant. And the last one was because this woman was actually a um, single woman and she'd been single for many years. His last attempt was saying to me, just be careful who told you that they saw me, Penny, because, you know, People have got an agenda. So basically, what are you saying was her agenda is probably to separate the two of us because she thinks I'm pretty hot. And I was like, are You kidding me? How can anybody even say that? So gaslighting is it should be, in my opinion, called denying, denying, denying until what happens is you start doubting your perception of reality. You don't actually know anymore what is real, what is true. You don't know. It's like I'm at, that's where the whole "I'm going crazy" thing is. You start thinking, you abs- "What is going on?" You don't, you don't have any idea what truth is anymore because you've heard so many lies, and yeah, everything he says is denied, and then they switch up the blame to you. As I said, so yeah, gaslighting is a terribly awful, um, traumatic, confusing thing to go through, and it's one of the ways that they gain control of us. Um, make us believe we are crazy. And then of course, when we believe we're crazy, then we become more dependent on them because they're the ones who have the answers, we're, we're crazy. And so it's all part
0: of our control manipulation. My apologies, for some reason, we had uh, some technical issues in the, in the um, producer's booth. And so we lost a big chunk of this audio, which I'm very sorry for. However, I can fill in the blanks here, this conversation goes on to talk about what gaslighting is and basically how it is, is it's created to kind of throw you off your game, so to speak. Um, some, uh, some people with narcissistic personality disorder um, are very intentional when they do this. Other people, others who do this who, who don't have that personality disorder, but... Are high on the narcissism spectrum. They they do this as well. They may not be consciously aware of it, but it is a um, it is a coping mechanism for them. Unfortunately, for us, is what actually can drive you crazy because things like oh they'll like, move your keys somewhere or and and not tell you um, they. They might, they'll say, oh, yes, we have an appointment that we need to go to and such and such a date. And when that date comes, they'll talk like they don't know what you're talking about, things like that. And now as I join the audio coming up um, where where Penny or Joy Weaver, she's sharing her experience when she finally found a therapist who, who believed her um, because that is very common in seeking out therapists not all therapists are familiar with recognizing the symptoms of a person who is a victim of narcissistic abuse it's getting better but it's it's nowhere near where it should be and also when um, people come as couples the the narcissistic abuser is is often not recognized because they're so good at their game if they're especially if they're one of these charming narcissists which Penny's um, ex was. So, in this next portion that you'll hear, is Penny sharing her story about finally finding finding a therapist who believed her. And the reason why he believed her is he gave her the uh, Robert Hare psychopathy checklist, which is basically the checklist to see if you are a psychopath. And on that, it this, it scores on a spectrum so they can get an idea of how near or far you are to being a, a psychopath. So he gave her the checklist to bring home to her husband, and her husband filled it out himself. Her husband scored in the high, high end to be a psychopath. So that is the most dangerous narcissist you can ever come across the ones that will murder their husbands or their wives, like that kind. The Dirty Johns of the world, if you're familiar with that story. So the next part of the interview that we did not lose is her talking about this experience and the relief she felt when she was finally believed. But there is a twist again and this will just blow your mind at how good narcissists, the pathological, the Ted Bundys, the, the Dirty Johns. Well, Dirty John was a little bit uh, black and white, so I don't want to really, he was, he was a murderer, but he wasn't as smooth as like a Ted Bundy was. So this is Penny, or Joy Weaver, talking about what happened after sharing all that information about the, the Robert Hare test, etc. Et so she's talking about feeling relieved. Take a listen.
1: The antisocial personality disorder, which they used to call a psychopath. And unless God rests on the wall, you know, stay, I would run. I cried all the way home because somebody was finally seeing what I'd been seeing and they were basically saying, it's not you. This man has a huge problem. That's true, that's within seconds. My husband got hold of this man's number. Our idiotic... Oops, somehow you... I'm, so sorry. You- I'm okay. so sorry. I'm so sorry. Somebody phoned me. I'm so sorry. I um, idiotic went to... Um, uh, yeah. He, I gave him the number of the psychologist I saw. He made an appointment. I think he had two, maybe three appointments with that man, one-on-one. And then I got called in to a uh, you know, couple's session during which the psychologist who had just a couple of weeks before told me my husband had antisocial personality disorder I was told that he had met my husband's working to him long and hard and in fact I have huge issues it's clear to him now because of my narcissistic mother well
0: this is so the same, psychologist, old, that the same
1: psychologist that told you oh my told gosh so they are so easily easily swayed I'm mean, i was. i blown away. Again, I, I I cried all the way home. I'm like, you're kidding me. Here's somebody who actually stated, you know, like he did a personality profile on the man, said this is who he is. And then he, that very man managed to convince him his favorite fine, it's all me.
0: Wow, just amazing. It is. And I've seen it play out in, in hospital settings, you know, with top psychiatrists um and when the, the the narcissistic personality disorder like is accused of something like let's say sexual abuse or child abuse that they the, the psychiatrists get you know love bombs so to speak and they just they identify too much with the other person that they can't acknowledge that they don't they they don't believe they don't want to believe that what they're seeing is real um, or for whatever reasons wow and you know. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but that is just, that is such a classic, a classic story that you hear in, in these situations, especially when that, when the person is very good, like antisocial personality disorder is in, in itself separate from narcissistic personality disorder. And and that is like, like a dangerous th- diagnosis to have. So that's like the Ted Bundy's around. Of, of yes, the absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because not all narcissists are bun- Ted Bundys, but they can do a lot of damage. Which brings me to the next question, actually. Um, you know, we know that when a partner tries to leave an abusive relationship, um, at that at time of exit or shortly thereafter, they are at risk of danger. Yeah. In extreme cases, of course, it's, you know, your life or your children's lives are in danger. However, there are many other ways that the abuser can make your life a living hell. Can you talk about this and what steps one can take to protect themselves? Yes, they can indeed
1: make your life a living hell. Um, I actually cannot believe the stories that I hear. Can you hear me, Angela? Yes, sorry. I was just coughing, so I turned off my mic. Uh, No, sorry. Um, So I can't believe the stories that I've heard since I began the group because... Oh man, they go of their way just to make your life a living hell. So they start what they call a smear campaign, where they will tell everybody absolute lies about you that you know you were a complete slut, whore, prostitute, slept with all their friends, whatever it was. They'll they'll start that kind of thing. They'll um, harass you at work. The one goal.
0: Had... Oh, we just lost you. We just lost you. Hello. Joy. Oh, maybe Joy. We'll just wait until you're able to come back. So I'll just I'll just share some things. Like there are spectrums of narcissistic abuse, and there are, are what they call covert narcissists. And um, covert narcissists, they they don't they don't present like others. They can be kind. Um, they can have friends. <laughs> Um, they are covert, right? Or they call them vulnerable narcissists. So they come from like this underdog position of being the underdog. Oh, you're back now, Penny? Can you hear me? Uh, Okay, yes. I was just filling things. I'm just going to complete what I'm going to say, and then we'll go back to you, okay? Okay. So they can be like the underdog. So they come in as wanting to help you or or they're hurt themselves. And they get that your support and control by being the underdog. So that's just another form of, of narcissism, but I'm going to end there because now we have joy back. And so back to you, if you want to complete what you are sharing joy, thank you.
1: Hi, so can you hear me? Yes. Angela. at which point did you leave? Uh, did you not hear me anymore? Um, you were
0: starting to talk about, um, making your life a living hell, how they will go to their way to do smear campaigns and tell people that you are a slut and et cetera, and things like that, which is very common. So
1: yes, they do, do that. that and then I was mentioning that one of the girls in my group had a, um, her husband went to her work and he's, he made up this whole big story about how disgusting she was. And basically the whole thing was defamation of character. Um, He, he tried to get her to lose her job, thankfully for her, um, once she spoke to the boss, the boss who had known her for years didn't um believe him, thankfully, so she still kept her job. But now of course he knew where she worked, um, so he could always get hold of her at work. They phone you in times. It was not on your cell phone, it's at work. Um, harass you, stalk you. She was followed by people who were like part of the underworld. These were people who were kind of used as hitmen. She'd met them in her home and so she knew. Them, this wasn't a story that he made up, they were his friends, so she was terrified, but absolutely terrified, such that she ended up going back to him because it was safer to go back than fear that he would take out one of her friends or family. So that's the scary part is that, as you say, when you leave, it's terrifying because it's at that point when they are so furious, that's when you get this whole. Narcissistic rage is just absolutely phenomenal. They kind of live to punish you. If you go back, the abuse just escalates absolutely radically. It becomes so much worse. And statistically, they say it takes between seven and nine times to leave an abusive relationship. I think it took me six or seven over the years. So I did try a few times, but it's really hard. And then, of course, there's, there, is, there is the whole fear. There's a huge fear of what they can do. I was reading the stats about parental alienation and how bad it is to alienate the child from one of the parents, but sometimes they are so <laughs> dangerous that they were also saying that since 2008, I think it was, in the last 10 years, it was studied and done up to 2018, something like 800 plus children had been murdered by a parent, the one who had been pushed aside. So it was a narcissistic parent, more commonly the man than the woman, but that was their final revenge. The only way to really punish you is to kill the child that you have together. I mean, these people are deranged. That's not even vaguely normal. But that's the kind of extreme they'll go to. And they always say that if you're getting out of a really domestic violence thing where you, where the violence is physical, once you leave, that's when you're in the most dangerous zone. You've got to really be careful. You've got to have a safe house to go to. You've got to cover your tracks. You have to have a I think it's called a burn phone, you know, something that they can't trace. You have to have make sure that they haven't hacked into all your, you know, devices you've got to really you've got to move sometimes you have to change your identity leave the country it, it gets so bad
0: yes and you know hence people just go dark for a while and so when you think about it someone with uh, narcissistic personality disorder when the partner leaves them it's like they're like three years old. And when you're three years old, you can have a narcissistic temper tantrum. That's normal. That's normal for a three-year-old. Because when you are three, everything is about you and should be about you. Mm. But when you are a three-year-old in a 30-year-old or 20-year-old or 50-year-old man's body, and you're having that, oh, my God, my mom is leaving me. She's abandoned me. And you have that narcissistic rage. Is it, There's nothing worse than that. Because in that brain is like death because as a child a child needs its parent to keep him alive or her alive and when that threat because we're talking about the narcissist is all about the primal stuff so that threat is like death in the brain and the brain believes that it's in danger so that's what happens that's when it's like oh my god like i'm i'm gonna die so i need to do what you know act on act on um, these, in order to get some type of respite, or else their emotions are still, they they don't, they can't soothe. So soothing is done in very terrible ways, uh, unfortunately. If I can
1: just interject, so I think the other problem is, Andrew is that they, um, they desperately fear abandonment. Um, You know, they're terrified of being abandoned. They They need that narcissistic supply, but what we don't realize when we get to that place where we're saying, I'm done, I'm out of here, I can't do this anymore, what we don't realize, because I actually didn't realize I was in a narcissistic abusive relationship at all until about the last two years of being in my marriage, actually. I just thought he was a person who hated me. Perhaps he was a bit of a misogynist, who hated all women. I couldn't understand why he was cruel and horrid to me when I was trying my hardest to just be nice. Um... But what I didn't realize was when you then react angrily to them sort of pushing and parting, and you know until eventually you lose it and you shout back at them, I realized that that was also narcissistic supply. So we sort of fall into their trap all the time, too. So, yeah, as you say, it, 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 they 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 behave so badly because they fear that they're going to lose that their prime source of narcissistic supply. But to me, it's also mine was furious with me because I was blowing his image, his public image. And for narcissist it's way more important what society sees him as or what people out there think of him as than it is to care for and love the people that you supposedly closest to, you know, that you chose to marry or children you chose to have. Um, so what I was doing was I was threatening his identity as a person who'd been married for years so clearly he's a man who can sustain good relationships he's got um two children so you know he's obviously a loving father he because he had money he used to make sure he would um take us overseas to a very luxury holiday so he could come home and then tell people what a good daddy is and how much he spoils his kids it's all to meet their own agenda though it had nothing to do with spoiling anyone a he wanted to go he, which was irrelevant who came um, so he was annoyed with me because I was going to blow all that by divorcing him. How dare you? Because then I will look like a failure. And they can't stand looking like a failure. And in fact, when I did divorce him, so I wanted to divorce him. But eventually, right at the end, we used his lawyer because um, it's too long-winded to explain. But I realized that if I actually gave him the uh, the um, divorce summons and he read the claim that I could use of went to court, he wouldn't give me a cent because he'd be so mortified by what, it, what I had to say in that um so we eventually used his um lawyer or attorney because it was cheaper so i ended up becoming the person that he divorced so he divorced me effectively so then he could go around and say to people you know the reason i divorced her was because of her mood swings and um yeah and then he would tell people he paid me this huge amount of money as a uh, you know as a settlement which is all absolute rubbish and it used to infuriate me at the beginning. And now I've gotten so beyond that I I really couldn't care less what he says, quite frankly. (laughs) Doesn't even bother me, but
0: yes, I was gonna ruin his image. Absolutely. Yes. And that's all part of this mirror campaign, I guess. So now I don't, like in order, I don't wanna leave this on such a side note, but first of all, I wanna also say that it's not just men who are narcissists. But, I mean, according to the, the stats in the U.S., there are many more, and, and Canada, like this, like 75% of men are, the narcissists are 75% men and 25% women. And, like, the women do exist, it's just like Joy has been sharing about her own mother. And I I've, I've see it myself in, in life, too. So um, I just wanted to make a note about that. Um, and these same kind of things can happen with female and um but in, in maybe a slightly female way <laughs> in one case, I know of this woman who would whenever she was angry with her boyfriend, she would secretly go and puncture his um, uh, what are they? sorry <laughs> my brain is not working his contacts with little pins, so when he would go to use them, he couldn't see and or put. Um, sugar in his gas tank those types of things so oh, no, just to yeah it is so I mean to let to turn this into a little bit of hope here now like what can a person do um, Penny because um, you help women get out of these relationships and and you also educate women to to so they can protect themselves from getting into or and men sorry you protect themselves from getting into these types of relationship what kind of things can people do to let's say they're in an abusive relationship how can they kind of coping skills can they use and um how can they what are the first steps they may need to new, do what are the first steps they may need to do to get out okay so
1: generally um a person will look up narcissism or narcissistic abuse because someone's told them that perhaps your partner's a narcissist or whomever they're dealing with so it might be a colleague or friend or boss whatever um And then when they come to the group, they're completely and utterly confused. So what you have to do, first of all, is kind of create awareness and help them to understand and to validate that what they're going through is in fact abuse. Because people don't understand what emotional abuse is, what financial abuse is, spiritual abuse, et cetera. They just understand physical abuse. And that's domestic violence, and they understand that, and that's part of GBV, but they don't understand the rest. Initially, what I have to do is I have to kind of validate what, they, what they're experiencing is abuse and help them to understand why they're feeling so confused, why they're feeling so frustrated, why they're feeling, why they they don't know who they are anymore, why they're feeling as though they might be the narcissist and explain the whole concept of projection. So, so whatever the narcissist is saying to them or accusing them of, I always tell my clients that basically what they're doing is they are giving a little sneak peek into who they are. So if they come home and say, you're the most selfish unloving person I've ever met, they're actually saying I am selfish, I am unloving, which is all truthful, but unfortunately, we take it personally. And that's what causes all the damage. And we keep sort of analyzing ourselves and thinking, how can I make this better? So it's first of all creating a reason to help them to understand what they're in. Then they have to acknowledge and actually um, understand that they played a part in this too, which when you're in that victim mode and you, you, you're saying, you know, if only he would change, if only he'd stop drinking, if only he'd stop being so cruel to me, if only he'd stop humiliating me, unless you can move out of that, if only he would change stance and understand that actually you play a big part because you're allowing the abuse. Well, when somebody told me that, I was furious. In fact, she mentioned I should read Melody Beattie's book called Codependent No More because uh, that's who I am and I need to accept that. And I was like, I read that book and I was just, it just made me very angry. Yes, a lot of the things she was saying was true, but I, I wasn't at a place yet where I could accept and move on to sort of the, the more survivor. Okay, what am I going to do here? I think once you've managed to move a person out of victim into survivor, then you can start working with them and you can, you can start pointing out that as this kind of a person, which most people call us empaths or victims of abuse or people, they call us codependent, but... The lady that I follow in Ireland, her name is Christine Lued Cannonball. She calls us co-narcissists, which I prefer because we didn't get into a relationship with a person who's dependent on something, you know, drugs or alcohol or something, although they they do depend on narcissistic supply, I guess. But she says it's not the same thing. So, so she puts us as co-narcissists and then explained to them that the things we're doing wrong is that we have very weak boundaries we allow the abuse because we don't know what our rights are that we're able to say no that um we have a desperate need to give and give and give and we want to then that's who we are but it usually comes from a place of shame and trauma in our upbringing and as you said earlier a kind of like a survival mechanism is pleased and please and please. but we eventually get completely resentful because we're not getting back what we need to explain to the person that they have huge control issues well again when somebody told me i had control issues i sort of looked at them blankly and said who me no he controls me but it's not about that it's about us trying to control the other person so that we get our love needs met but we don't have a clue that we're doing that we don't know we're doing that at all so we have this big hole in our soul desperate to be loved so we give and give and give and they take us but like I said, eventually we get fed up. So they've got to understand that. So first of all, we allow it. Second, all, we've got weak boundaries. The third thing is we keep on looking for external validation. If somebody says, um, I love you, we feel good about ourselves. We don't understand the concept of self-love because, especially as a woman you raised, believing that your job is to take everyone else's needs. You know, you're supposed to be self-sacrificial. If you do anything for yourself, it's selfish. We don't really understand the concept of loving yourself is actually healthy. Um, so, because of that, we, yeah, we, we we don't default into looking for love inward, um, and that's a big problem. So, so we keep waiting for people to validate us, make, make us feel better. So, when you can get the person to understand that what they're doing is caretaking, and they need to start doing self-care rather than caretaking, they need to start prioritizing themselves, asking the one question: Are my needs getting met? And, you know, if, you, if, you, if your knees are not getting met, you're going to be desperately unhappy. You've got to recognize that the only person that can actually change in the relationship is you, or rather the only person that you have the power to change is you, because you, can't, you cannot change anybody else, but we keep trying to do that, or hoping or praying for a miracle that they'll change. Well, it's never going to happen. So unless you accept responsibility that you and only you are responsible for your happiness and start doing the work to change that um, and Acknowledge and accept with radical acceptance, as Dr. Ramani puts it, a radical acceptance where you understand they will never change. This is who they are. Their personality is disordered. And um, you can hang in there for the rest of your life, being miserable, unhappy, um, emotionally, not well, mentally unwell, physically unwell. Um, or you can make the bold decision to move out of a toxic relationship so, yeah, that's kind of the process. And then uh, the, the skills that one gives, if the person for some for some reason can't leave, or like me, I felt trapped. I, I couldn't leave. I don't know the finances. He kept telling me he'd hidden all his money in um, trust funds, which he had. He kept saying, divorce me, you won't get a cent. It was all threat, threat, threat. I couldn't leave because I said I was terrified. My kids, I'd lose my children. Then you need coping skills. And I wish that somebody had told me this when I was in my relationship because I knew none of these. So I would always just... Put up, put up, put up, and then explode, which of course he loved. So going grey rock is um, exactly what it says. In other words, you you become as emotional as a rock, so you don't react to them when they're whatever they do. When they rage, when they accuse you, when they whatever, you just you don't react. You also have to not engage, not explain and not personalised. So so when they try to rile you, you just come back with something like that's your opinion in a very calm way or I feel differently. You've also got to put boundaries in place and say, if you speak to me like that, I'm leaving the room and then actually act on it. Although they probably come running after you. So you may have to lock yourself in the room or go for a walk or something. But there are things one can do. The other thing is detaching. So if you can learn to detach so that you become an observer, rather than taking it all in, which eventually gets too much for for us and we react rather than respond, detaching is possibly the best technique to learn um, so that they no longer affect you. It's really difficult when you're in that situation and it's ongoing and it wears away at you daily. Eventually you will lose your cool and hate yourself for it. But most of the time, you'll be able to live a life of peace You'll you'll feel happy um, with learning to love yourself and doing things for yourself. You'll be able to say no more easily. And as you do so, your self-esteem comes back. You start becoming more confident. You start realizing you're not this fool, idiot, horrible person they keep making out to be. You didn't cause it. And um, you become a person that's more balanced more at peace and you don't play the game. And once you've seen through them and you understand they're just little people acting out, actually being cruel because they can't be anything else, it doesn't affect you as much because now you've got awareness of what you're dealing with.
0: Right, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment about, um, you know, taking responsibility because, um, yeah, of course, like when you're in a relationship with um, a, a narcissist, you're there, You you, you have, you are a role you play a role in it um and I think what happens with many women or men they're in, in a certain it's a very they have to be very gentle because with that person because they are still being actively like in in the tornado and and so it's like a gentle. You know, a gentle let's let's gently move away and and slowly, you know, start to, you know, gain some insight and perspective and, you know, and, and surround yourself with people because we're not we are social animals. We need people to say you are wonderful. You're beautiful like yes. that 's normal, and because we don 't know who we are, if you haven 't gotten it from your childhood, if you didn 't grow up in a family where your parents would say i love you every day or not every day, but you know or or do loving things with you and soothe you when you cried, and you know put the band aid on your knee when you fell, like then you don 't you, you grew up without it, so mm-hmm. you don 't know how to to get that inside because you didn 't get that you didn 't get that pruning you didn 't get that that narrow mm-hmm those neural uh, networks uh, to join. And so no fault of your own, just like a narcissist grows up not having anything and therefore in no fault of his own becomes a narcissist. Right. Uh-huh. So, I mean, basically, yeah, I agree. Like we got to maybe just start on your own and, and get your support on coping skills. If you, if you're in a relationship and you don't know if it's, this kind of relationship then maybe just go to a therapist and say i don't know what's going on i want to learn some coping tech coping skills at least you learn coping skills right so that could be the first kind of first steps as well um but it's a very i I really thank you for coming on today and and sharing your insights and and i think what you're doing is really wonderful helping other women and you're on, on women and men i keep saying women i'm sorry um, that's probably because I'm a woman, and I'm a little bit biased when I'm a woman, because you know women talk about women. <laughs> <laughs> but but it happens to men. I know. I see it. i my my sister's um, partner. He 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 was um, a target of it very badly from his ex-wife. Um. So um, anyway, uh, I want to ask you one last question. And what are your future plans for your organizations and? and where can our listeners find you penny or joy okay yes. so uh, <laughs> i have so
1: many plans but so little time to execute them um i've <laughs> got this kind of big idea with regards to um so when i first started the group i just started advertising a meetup because i didn't know how else to actually advertise and um if you're familiar with Meetup, so what they do is that they give you a platform to advertise events, etc. Et oh, I forgot
0: to I forgot one really important thing. I told our listener, I didn't tell our listeners where you're from. Can you share oh. where you're from? <laughs> sorry. Yes. Yes, I'm from South Africa. I live
1: in Johannesburg.
0: Okay. Sorry. Continue.
1: Okay. So, um, yes. So what I what I really want to do, and what I've wanted to do since inception, was I started up a group. Um, in Branston, which is an area down the road from me in Johannesburg. And then ever since then, I've been on an absolute mission to try to find people who are as passionate about what I do as I am, who are at least sort of four or five years out, who've gained understanding about narcissism, who hopefully have some sort of a counselling background or, you know, whatever. some They can kind of understand people who are able to facilitate a group effectively. It's been such a challenge because the nature of the abuse well, the abused person they kind of get the act together, and then they fall apart for a bit, and then they get the act together, and then they fall apart for a bit. The other thing is because I don't have funds at the moment, I can't actually pay people to run groups, so that might, might make it easier. But the happy news is, after about three and a bit years of doing this and you know plodding away, trying to find people, getting excited, and then they fall off the wagon per se. Um, I've, I've now started. With, um, NASG has a group in Cape Town. We've got one in Pretoria. And we've got a, gr- a group on the other side of Johannesburg in the southeast. So it's exciting. And, and more people are kind of coming to the fore. And the more I have awareness of the group, the more people might listen in and go, hey, you know what? I've always wanted to give back in that way. And I believe I believe it's all about, for me, I have turned my pain into my purpose. And um, people will say, gosh, Penny, you must be so devastated you didn't leave years ago. And I look at them and I say, no, I'm not. Sure. I actually think I left at the exact right time because this was, part of the plan so right now i'm kind of equipped sufficiently to help a huge range of people and in fact a lot of the people on my group could be my children actually they're that sort of age and um so i'm kind of like an agony aunt at some stages other times a counselor other times a coach um but i want to start up groups throughout south africa i would love to start up groups throughout africa actually i have quite a few people on the group that are from i you know one's from nairobi the other one's from botswana so there's, there's quite a few people from africa who who've joined our group. Um, there's people that are there's people from America and uh, Afghanistan and all sorts of weird and wonderful places that are part of the group. And I think it's because right now we're one of the few groups that offer WhatsApp support. And so they can have live interaction. We even had a we have a twenty four seven group so they can actually, depending on the time zones, they can talk whenever. And hopefully there'll be somebody. Sometimes we, we, miss, we miss it a bit on the on the nighttime group. But if I was able to employ somebody to do that and moderate that group, it would work uh, better. So that's my aim. The other aim is to have our Courage to Change YouTube channel as a place where people are invited to come and share their stories. Um, people love hearing stories. And if a person who hasn't been in an abusive relationship listens in, they will then just by listening to the story go, oh, is that narcissistic abuse? And then be able to tell their friend Susie that actually... I think Jack is actually a narcissist because you know, I heard the show and he does those things. So it'll educate the public as to what narcissism is, but it is twofold in its in its healing because it's actually healing for a person to own their short, their story and to share it. So part of the healing with the people in my group would be to share their story. And so I'm really excited to do that, but I haven't as yet found the time to do that. So with the stories. And then um With my coaching, I've put together a program that I call the Recovery and Restoration Personal Development Programme. And it's a 10-session live, one-on-one coaching process, which is proven to be very effective because um, it's not like the online courses where people can't deal with your unique, different experiences of narcissistic abuse. I agree. Yeah, when you're one-on-one, I can tweak it and alter it and make it suit the needs of that specific person. I can find notes relevant to their situation. I can research and give them things that are really helpful. Do you know what I mean? So so I'm finding it works really well. I'd also like to get into a bit more group coaching, maybe offer um, a support on a once-a-week Zoom so that everybody globally can join. So I'm looking into all sorts of things and, you know, fun ways. I'm also a laughter therapist. So I do workshops and laughter therapy for me. Um, since I left, I've, I've laughed my head off literally, and it's very much <laughs> helped me. So I believe laughter is the best medicine Um and, I, yeah, so I wanted to sort of investigate more into those areas. And also it was mentorship. I wanted to train up the people in art group to be mentors to one another. So a bit like AA where you've got somebody who, as you're about to send that text to this horrible pig who you left six months ago, um, who you went no contact with, as you're about to unblock him and send that text, instead of doing that, you phone your mentor and you say, help, you've got to help me take my phone, do something. I don't want to do this, but I do want to do this because you've got this whole sort of conflicting emotions and you end up sort of romanticizing your relationship and, and remembering the good moments and forgetting all the bad but um, so that's the other that's area. brilliant
0: i think that's a brilliant idea that, like if having a sponsor is, mm-hmm. you need a
1: sponsor yeah absolutely you do. and then yeah to encourage people to to what i also do is i try to do the various healing methodologies on myself so i can kind of recommend to people which ones i found useful of course it's not a one-stop shop not, doesn't work nothing works The same for everybody. What I'm trying to say, actually, is not every healing method is good for every person. So you've got to find the ones that work for you. And I try to present that also in the meetings and and help people in all of our discussions to kind of, you know, find the right method for healing and to encourage them to do the work. Because unless they do that, they're going to fall into the next narcissist relationship.
0: And it is a living hell. Joy, um, can our listeners um, follow you on Clubhouse here, and and on your on your profile, do you have access to like your websites and all that information where people can reach you? Okay, so
1: um, my profile is Joy Weaver with the same photograph that they're seeing here. So yes, they can get the information there. Um, I actually only set it up recently, and I think I neglected to put the website address. I put links to my Joy Weaver Facebook, my Joy Weaver LinkedIn, Joy Weaver. Uh, Instagram but I don't think I put the courage to change website which houses everything to do with the narcissistic abuse support group I've called it courage to change on purpose because the narcissists that you're with are generally watching your every move and if you go and join a group called narcissistic abuse support group or if you go and look at a website called that they'll come down on you hard Um, so we called it courage to change to avoid that and members are invited to join with their first names, or anonymously make up one, you know, so, so that it's a safe space, it's a safe platform to share. But my website address is www. and then the word courage, the number dot change.co.za. So it's courage to change with the number dot .co.za. And on that website, you'll find all the different resources, the support services, Recommended books, um, professionals to listen to on their YouTube channels, etc., etc. So it's exciting. It's growing. We trying to create more uh, traffic through the website, so it'll become more awareness. And oh, my mission also is to I want to go. I can't forget this because this is really my passion. I want to go and educate youngsters with regards to the red flags of narcissism, so they don't get charmed into a relationship end up marrying or not marrying and having children with these people. So actually my passion, and I want to do t-shirts, but I don't know how to do this because they might be very rude, but I want to stop them breeding because statistically, um, out of the children of a narcissistic family, one will become a narcissist. The other one, probably a people pleaser. Then you end up with a narcissist marrying the people pleaser, the people pleaser, or the codependent, whatever, marrying the narcissist. They have kids and it just carries on. It's like a generational curse. So, that's my mission in life, to educate the youngsters so that they don't actually breed. No more children that end up becoming narcissistic. We just have to be all about loving people so we can love our world into wholeness.
0: <laughs> well, that's a beautiful way to end uh, this <clears throat> podcast uh, episode today. And um, again, um, my guest is Joy and Weaver, like weaving, w-e-a-v-e-r if you want to follow her here on clubhouse um or or search her on google and, angela yes can i just can i
1: just interject i actually sure. i was gonna i was gonna spell it Weaver as you just described as in a weaver or a weaver bird or a weaver doing tapestry but there were too many joy weavers when i was looking for a pseudonym so it's actually spelled w-e-e-v-e-r when they search me so it's joy w-e-e-v-e-r
0: Oh, thank you. That's important. I wrote it down. So yes. Okay. Thank you. So yes, you heard it. Joy Weaver, W-E-E, like weaver. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you'll have fun. Again, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to my wonderful guest, Joy Weaver, W-E-E-V-E-R. It's been real. Bye for now, and we'll see you soon. You are a shining star.